stuff comes through there as well. Uh, our scripture reading for today is Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Uh, so if you want to open up your Bibles to there. Uh, we have Bibles at the ends of each pew as well if you didn't bring one. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take it home with you as a gift from us. Uh, so we're in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom, that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me uh, for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Thank you, Chad. Uh, we wanted you to hear the whole uh, context of the story, and that'll make sense as we get into the sermon a bit later. Uh, before we jump in, I have news to share, building news. Uh, so, uh, as we have done kind of at the beginning of sermons, uh, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to hear the scriptures, uh, we've often knelt uh, that, and asked God to speak to us uh, as we hear his scriptures and transform us. Uh, I'd ask you uh, to kneel here in a second because uh, we're going to pray. We're going to come before the Father and just ask, Lord, please do what you want to do when it comes to building stuff. Uh, there's, uh, there's three buildings kind of in the mix right now, and, and it's all swirling around, and uh, we're just not sure what the Lord is doing. Uh, so we're, uh, we've been discerning, talking with different folks about uh, ideas and praying and, 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 and just saying, Lord, uh, show us a way forward. So um, most likely in the next uh, week or two, we're going to be presenting uh, different uh, possibilities to these folks and just saying, hey, uh, are you interested in selling to us? And so uh, it's kind of like when Gideon throws out a fleece and the Lord, he says, Lord, just show us which way to go, right? And, and open a door for us, right? And so uh, we're going to be doing that. But as all these things are swirling around, uh, I'd like it all to be swirling in prayer, so let's just ask the Lord now, God, would you give us the right space in the right time with the right provision? And 
Uh, we're not sure what space that will be or what that will look like and how he'll do it, uh, but we're uh, in faithfulness and, and in excellently as we can and with all fervor moving forward on all three saying, Lord, do as you please. Uh, so uh, would you kneel with me? Uh, if you're able, if you're willing, and uh, first I just ask, let's praise our God uh, in your minds and your hearts as you talk with Him right now. Uh, there's probably even circumstances in your own life where you don't know how it's going to pan out. Let's first orient our minds and our hearts towards our God who is great, who is mighty, who is faithful, who is sovereign, and let's praise Him now uh, in our minds and our hearts as we talk to Him. Let's, let's praise our God. And now let's, let's ask him, let's petition of him uh, that he might move in a mighty way to provide the right space in the right time. And, we, and, and let's pray that he might do it even now in the coming month or two, that he might do it. Father, when we look in the scriptures, what we see is you are just a good, mighty, sovereign king. And you're our father, too. Uh, you're with us. Uh, when we don't know what's around the corner, Father, you do, and you're good, and you're sovereign in it. When we look back at each of our own stories in the life of the well, we see your faithfulness, we see your provision, we see your sovereignty and goodness. Uh, even and even particularly as we think about space and how you've provided for us. God, you've given us stable space to worship you, to serve you here in Silver Spring for the past 10 years, God. And you've been so good. When, when we outgrew the basement, you gave us a, a new space in an old folks' home. When, when, we, when that wasn't a great place for us to worship anymore, you gave us here in the annex. Then you gave us this main sanctuary. And God, over time, you've just shown your faithfulness, your goodness. So again today, we just say we trust you, we love you, we know what you have for us is good and is in line with your sovereign will. And so God, as we ask today, we, just, we ask for clarity, we ask for, uh, as we throw these different things out, that you might show the best way forward, that you would lead us, you'd lead our church for your purposes, that we would, God, that we would get to sink roots just deep here in this area for the sake of the gospel and and see our kids discipled, uh, see your name worshipped and praised, uh, see churches planted, see the world impacted, God, uh, that, that we would see this area saturated with church after church after church, planted out of our church for your purposes, your glory, your name. God, if, if one of these buildings is a piece of that plan, would you do it? 
And if it's not, we just know who you are and we trust you. You've always shown your goodness in each of our lives. You've shown your goodness and your sovereignty and your might and your mercy in the life of the well. And we know you will in the future too because it's who you are. Thank you for your son. You've given us life. You've made us sons and daughters. And you just keep piling blessing and blessing upon us as a church. We're so thankful. We serve him. We worship him. We want him to be known here. And more to come to know him, to love him, to serve him, to worship him. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, we'll keep you up to date on uh, different things. As, as things become more concrete, we'll share more concretely as we discern together and, and pray together and fast together in the coming weeks and months. And uh, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, all right. Who knows what God's going to do? <laughs> but we know our God. We really we know our God. All right, let's jump in. We are in a, uh, a passage you probably never heard read at a wedding or maybe never heard read uh, before. It's, uh, it's where Paul comes and he confronts uh, these folks in Jerusalem, uh, the pillars, the, uh, the early apostles, Peter, James, and John, and he kind of uh, connects with them to sort out uh, a problem of uh, how are we going to keep the gospel pure? Uh, how are we going to preserve the gospel? How are we going to practice gospel? What's it going to look like for us to uh, keep this idea that the good news of Jesus and who he is pure? It's super critical. It's super important. It's not just a piece of history of Paul talking with these folks at this council of sorts, but, uh, but it's so critical because an idea always precedes an action. What we believe to be true always impacts our life and how we live it out. Uh, that, that's true in huge, massive, grand scales. You think of, of the Holocaust, right? Uh, these people are subhuman. Uh, these people are to blame the idea. Then the action uh, follows it, right? And decimation and destruction. And you could think of this in, 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 your, in a positive way, just in your own home. Not, not some massive way like this, but... Uh, if I live a healthy life, I'll have a few more years at the end of it, right? The idea, health is value, right? I want to live healthy. Well, then you might start exercising, right? On the back end of an idea as an action. We, we see it in the garden. You go back all the way to Genesis. You got Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, and, and the Lord has said, uh, you can trust me, I'm good. Do not eat from the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan comes in and plants this idea in their minds. Maybe the Lord is withholding something from you. Maybe your God is not good. And Adam and Eve, with this idea in their mind, turn to this action of disobedience. You're right, maybe he's not good. Maybe I am lacking if I don't do what I ought not to do, what I've been commanded not to do. Uh, the idea uh, precedes the action. And so Paul comes before this council privately. This isn't that mighty council of Jerusalem, uh, uh, of, uh, of Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council. We're not quite yet there in history, but he comes before this private council to keep the idea, the good news, the core of the gospel, pure. And that's going to transform the way they live, the way the good news of Jesus transforms the whole world. And that, that's going to transform the way that we live as well. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, the, 
this confrontation, I'm going to take it kind of as a paradigm. Uh, Paul comes before them and kind of begins the argument and says, let's keep the gospel pure. And so I, I want to say to us, in the beginning of our lives with Christ, let's, let's make sure the gospel is pure, that we are uh, coming to Christ, not some other false gospel. And then he moves on in the confrontation. He says, man, let's not just uh, know that it's pure. Let's preserve it. Let's keep it pure. And, and so that we're not just coming to Christ in a pure way, but we are clinging to Christ uh, in our whole lives. And then he ends with, let's stay in step with the gospel. Let's practice the good news of the gospel. And, and that we've not just come to Christ. We're not just clinging to Christ in our lives. But, but now we, we find in our lives we're conforming to Jesus. We're living like him and for him in every sort of way. All right, so uh, this is the confrontation and the paradigm. I think it, it works nicely for our lives in beginning, continuing, and finally following Christ the rest of our lives. Because an idea always precedes an action and how it's played out in our life that either leads to life or leads to death. All right, let's jump in. This is the, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of our lives, the beginning of this confrontation that Paul uh, makes with these folks. This is chapter 2 in Galatians, verses 1 to 3, and you can read along with me. Uh, then after, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, you can snag one from the pews and keep that as a gift from us. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, uh, to present to them the gospel that I might proclaim that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain." All right, so uh, here's the first time uh, the, the gospel comes up in this confrontation. It'll come up in the very beginning, in the middle, and the end. And in the beginning, he says, I came to uh, lay before these pillars, Peter, James, and John, those who are kind of uh, core and critical for leading the church in the beginning after Jesus has resurrected and ascended. He says, I came to set before them the gospel that I proclaimed to the Gentiles. Why? In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. All right, so he's presenting before Peter, James, and John, the pillars, these influential ones, uh, the apostles, the, this good news of the gospel to make sure he's not running in vain. Because what's the situation? And remember uh, back to last week. The situation is this, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, there are people, he's astonished, verse 6, that, uh, that the Galatians are so quickly deserting the good news of the gospel. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting Jesus who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel, the good news of Christ. And that's the situation. There, there are folks coming into this uh, uh, new church in the area of Galatia. That's modern-day Turkey. And, and they're bringing in uh, this idea that not only do you need to receive Christ and trust in Him, that's the good news of the gospel, but, but that you need to be circumcised too. And that you need to keep uh, the dietary laws too. You need to keep the festivals and, and the feasts. And, and that if you don't do these things, in a sense, if you don't become uh, Jewish first, you can't then become Christian. They're saying you have to add something to Jesus. You have to do a Jesus plus something in, in order to uh, be saved and have life. And Paul says, I am, I'm preaching the pure gospel, which is Jesus only. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, he's, he's mentioned this idea already. Grace and peace. 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who did what? Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And he says, uh, the only way for grace and peace is, is to know the one who has given his life for you. He, he lives this perfect life. He dies a sacrificial death. He raises to newness of life that you might have grace and peace and life. There's, there's one gospel, he'll talk about it in chapter 2, verse 15, uh, that we're justified by faith alone in Christ, not by works or what we do. We don't add anything to it. We need to keep the gospel pure. And Paul is saying, man, I came here to make sure that I've got the pure gospel and he knows he does, right? He's been preaching it for 14 years already. But he's frightened, man, they are going to distort the good news of who Jesus is. This is what he's been preaching. When, when we look all over uh, Paul's writings, we see things like in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no and there, anything else. The gift of life is through Jesus Christ our Lord. He pays the wage for our sin. Or 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 21. God made Jesus, who had no sin, none, to become sin for us, that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God, that Jesus lived this perfect life, uh, he had no sin, and then he pays this sacrificial death, this atoning or substitutionary death, he takes your place and my place, and then he resurrects the newness of life and offers us his life, his righteousness, his sacrifice in our place. That, that by faith we would just come with empty hands and receive it. And Paul says that's the good news. The guilty are made innocent because of the righteousness of Christ. The outcast, the estranged, are included and embraced because of Jesus. Simply by faith, receiving, trusting in Christ. If you're saying, man, I, I want to know a bit more. What is the good news of the gospel? I, I, I've never kind of searched the scriptures for it. Don't quite understand it. Uh, we printed a whole bunch of these out in the back. And as you're going today, just pick up one of these gospel sheets. It goes through uh, some core verses and says, this is the good news, that, that God has saved sinners, saved you, saved me, by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He takes us guilty ones and makes us innocent and righteous as Jesus. He takes us who are outcast and estranged and rebelled and orphaned and makes us family, sons and daughters. It's the good news of the gospel. And, and Paul says, I want to make sure that you guys are not messing this up. Don't bungle this. Purify the gospel. Keep it pure because in it you come to Christ alone. I'll tell you a story. Uh, all these stories I'm going to tell uh, through this sermon are from folks a few years back and and, and some, because some of you are going to say, oh, wait, that story, that's my story. <laughs> and I want you to know, I'm not, I'm not thinking of you uh, directly as I tell these stories, uh, but, uh, but I am thinking of all of us, right? Purify the gospel that we might come to Christ, not to anything else. We might trust him alone. 
Uh, this gal is one of my favorite baptisms. Uh, this gal, a Jamaican gal, she had a lot of uh, spunk and flair. She found the church early, and uh, when we were just uh, in the basement, then we were in the uh, annex, uh, and, and, and we, we did her baptism over there in the annex. We got this uh, big old tub, we just filled it with water. Our biggest problem was, how are we going to get rid of all this water after, we, you know, like, we, so we got this hose anyway, that's all details, and so uh, she's preparing for baptism, and she's like, man, yeah, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. And so we say, awesome, get marked as a believer, one who follows Jesus, and get dunked in the water, remember that you've died with him, he's paid for your sins, and then come out of the water, remember he's given you his righteousness, his life, you are his daughter now, and then you can walk in newness of life. You're, let's get baptized, so we're talking it through. And then she says, uh, the second time we meet, I don't think I should get baptized. I said, Why? She says, because I know I'm going to mess up again. I know I'm not going to be loyal to Jesus the rest of my life. I'm going to mess up. And I looked right at her and I said, that's exactly why we get baptized. <laughs> to proclaim, I'm not trusting in my own righteousness, my own goodness. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need grace. I know I need the death of Jesus to take the place of my death. I know I need his righteousness, not my own. I'm just simply coming to him saying, I take it. I receive it. It's that free. Uh, maybe you grew up kind of with a Catholic faith and, and you came up uh, to take communion and, and you realized, oh, I, you, you thought, I shouldn't be taking this. Why? Because I haven't gone to confession yet. I, I haven't uh, been good enough. I'm not worthy to take this communion. Uh, the whole point is we're not worthy to take this communion. We're not worthy, right? We're, we're not good enough. He, he, the, 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 we're proclaiming in, a, in the, the body broken and the blood spilled. He's, I paid your price. You are going to mess up again. You're not good enough, but you are loved. You're embraced. You're forgiven. You're free. Not because of who you are or I am or how good we are or what we've done or what we don't do. Because of who our Savior is and what He has done. I was talking with a friend and, and he said, I, I do want to follow Jesus, um, but would I have to forgive my brother-in-law for what he did to me? If I followed Jesus, I was talking with another friend, and he said, "Would I have to? If would I have to stop kind of my sinful lifestyle and looking at porn?" And, uh, and I was talking with another friend, and and he, and and she said, uh, "Would I have to give up my drinking and kind of uh, this party lifestyle that I'm living, and in order to follow Jesus?" How would you answer? No. Let that settle for a second. This is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice. That, that he looks at us and says, I want you now, even in the midst of your sin, I want you to become my son or daughter by grace. Jesus looks at you and he says, It's that free. It's that free. In your sinfulness, in your addictions, in your rebellion, he looks at you and he says, I love you, I want you, and he draws you to himself. Here's why this matters. You may not know it's that free this morning. 
you may not know the gospel is that free. The good news of Christ is that free. And you're thinking, I've got to clean myself up before I come to Christ. I've been to church. I've looked around. Everyone's smiling there. Everyone's moral there. They don't have the story I have. They're not doing what I'm doing right now. I can't fit in here. I can't fit in with God. He won't receive me. He won't forgive me unless I clean myself up first. I'm going to tell you this morning. He loves you. His son has died for you. Would you receive him and come to Christ? The gospel is that good news. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You don't have to clean yourself up first. Come to Christ. I love it. Uh, the, the way that Romans chapter 4. Uh, so in Romans, Paul takes this good news of the gospel. And he unpacks it. He gets into all the nitty gritty details. And he says in chapter 4 verse 5. To those and to the one who does not work but believes, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, this faith is counted as righteousness. Who does not work, who does not do, does not clean themselves up, but simply to the cross they cling, counted as righteous. It's that free. See, people look at Christianity from the outside and they say it's all about stacking up your good deeds and keeping the Ten Commandments and being good enough and that's going to church on Sunday. That's what being a Christian is. Or, or it's all about climbing up the ladder, being good, uh, working your way up to God and being a moral, kind, tolerant, loving person. Or, or if we use Christianese language, it's all about what would Jesus do, right? Uh, I got I to gotta be good enough to be pleasing to God and others. No, it's about what has Jesus done, for you and for me to make us sons and daughters. Paul says, keep the gospel pure and come to Christ. He says, I want to make sure you guys were doing that, and I want to make sure I was doing that. He lays the gospel before him to make sure they're not running in vain. And then we continue in the gospel. Uh, the, the confrontation goes on, verse 4. Yet because of these false brothers is secret, secretly brought in, slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. And to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The gospel is pure, uh, so come to Christ. It's good news. It's not about what we do. It's about what He has done. But then we've got to preserve that gospel. We, we don't want to stray from that good news of the gospel in Christ, of what Jesus has done for us and who He's made us and how He's embraced us by grace. Uh, Cameron, my daughter, uh, went to the fridge last week. And we, we sometimes have a few different milks in there we had chocolate milk a half gallon of chocolate milk she opened it up you ever done that and you smell it it's it's curdling <laughs> i mean it's a nasty smell and she takes it over to the sink and she pours it out and it's like those clumps as it's disgusting and that's the image i want in your mind that's the smell I want in your nose right now because that's disgusting. It doesn't lead to life. It's spoiled milk. It's not preserved. It's, it's turning into a whole different substance. It's not even milk anymore. It's turning into yogurt. It's terrible. You wouldn't drink that. 
Paul comes and he says, I, I, I came to test and make sure the gospel that you're sharing and that I have shared is pure, but I want you to preserve it too. Stick with it. Don't leave it. And he says, because anything else, there's freedom in the good news of Christ, but anything else leads to slavery. When you start living this Jesus and life, it leads to slavery. It's no longer good news. It's no longer freedom and life and salvation. He says, we're not going to yield in any bit of submission to anything that, that adds to the gospel. We're going to preserve it. And here, here's what he says. He lays it before them, and those who seemed influential, he calls them the pillars. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. They added nothing to the message of the gospel. They didn't say this is Jesus and like we often do. See, see here's what happens in our life. Uh, you... you you become a Christian, you embrace Christ, you see he's rescued you by grace, he's made you a son or daughter, he's embraced you because of who he is and what he's done, nothing to do with yourself. You, you've prayed, you say, I receive what you've done, Christ. And then when we say, I gotta keep it, I gotta work this out, I gotta add to it, we add our morality to it. Uh, so much so that, man, when we're doing well with Christ, we're like, I'm awesome. And then when there's sin in our life, we just start, oh man, just falling into this quagmire. We've added our morality to who Christ is. Jesus plus this or that, a good moral life leads to life. Jesus plus serving a whole ton at church leads to life and says, I'm good enough. Jesus plus being here or being in community group every week means I'm good enough. I'm worthy enough. I can be loved by you and loved by God. Jesus plus happy kids, that's what will lead to life in my life. If I just had happy kids <laughs> with the right education and the right trajectory, then I'd have life. Uh, see, Jesus plus something we do more than what Jesus has done or, or something we can get more than Jesus has given. If I would just get this or that, if I could just do this or that well enough or good enough or, or attain this or have this in my life, then I'd have life. And here, Paul says, that's slavery. You'll never have enough. How many good moral deeds are you going to stack up to make for that thing uh, up you feel guilty about? Is coming to church every week enough? Do you have to be here on time? And I thank those of you who are here on time this morning. What time do you come to church? 9.50. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or another year in purgatory is what you'll get. No, right? That's the whole point. By grace you've been saved. Jesus plus nothing equals life. Or you will be enslaved rather than free. If you're trying to add happy kids to your life to find life, if you're having, trying to add a certain amount of number in your bank account for security to find life, if you're trying to add a certain level in your vocation to be validated, you'll always be enslaved. If you're trying to be holy enough or attend enough or serve enough, you'll always be enslaved. Jesus plus nothing equals life. Preserve the gospel and what keep clinging to Christ. A gal a couple years ago, she would come in and out of church. She had a young family. Uh, when, when they were coming, when they, they felt like they were connected enough or serving enough, they felt great. But then when uh, something would hit in life and they had to kind of be absent for a little while, they couldn't serve in this or that way, they, they'd start pulling back and, and, and 
and, and removing themselves from relationship and community. Uh, he never felt good enough as a leader, right? Even though he was an awesome leader. They eventually ended up leaving the church. And uh, there was this kind of uh, guilt in their life uh, based on how well they were doing in church life. And if they were doing great, they felt great. They were really connected. If they were not doing great, they felt super guilty and would disconnect because they didn't realize Jesus is enough. Uh, uh, some of, I've been talking, uh, well, we've walked through it ourselves. Uh, I'll just share from our own life. Uh, when you're a mom of young kids, here's what often happens. You feel like you are the worst human on earth. <laughs> you don't feel sufficient. You're not good enough. Dang, you don't see the fruit in your kid's life in the day-in and day-out grind. You just feel like you're drowning. And so uh, you look at yourself and you just say, man, I stink. And I'm not good enough at home. I'm not, I don't even, I'm not good enough in the workplace. Maybe you're working as well outside of the home. And, and I'm not good enough at church. I'm not good enough at this or that. And, and then this guilt kind of settles on you until you cling to Christ again. Jesus only. And you realize, oh, I am. I'm good enough. I'm forgiven. I'm embraced. I'm his daughter. I'm loved. And I'm struggling through life with these little kids. I feel like I'm drowning. But, but we're going to make it through by the grace of God. And, and I am embraced by him as his daughter. I'm embraced by him as his son now and always. But the church, here we are as church people, we're really good at making new laws for people, aren't we? Uh, maybe you're feeling like uh, today, you're living this thing out, right? Like you're, you are doing good enough, and, and so it's really easy for you uh, as a, a young couple or a single or as, as a young family, and you're crushing it, and it's really easy for you then to impose a new law on the person sitting next to you and saying, if you would just do this or that, then you'd be good, and you'd be doing better than you are right now. Then you'd be fine life. And imposing rules on those around us. A friend of mine said it this way. Uh, You'll know if you're adding something, particularly morality and legalism to your life, if what you find is no longer joy but judgment. Or if your Christian life has become just drudgery and duty. You're trying to add something to Jesus. I, I never met a happy referee. Gone to a lot of youth games over the past 10 years. <laughs> Those guys and gals get shredded out there <laughs> by everyone in the fans. But what they're doing, they're trying to enforce the rules. Keep the rules. Keep the law. And joy is not present. Freedom is not present. Slavery is present because it is not Jesus alone, Jesus only, but it's Jesus and. That's what's happening in this church here. Let's turn to our last one, because the legalist uh, this morning is probably struggling, particularly in that one example. Uh, Can I come to Christ and and keep a hold of my drinking? Can I come to Christ and keep a hold of my pornography? The legalist is probably struggling. I hope you're repenting and turning to Christ alone. But also the Christian is probably struggling there too, right? Uh, Because uh, he or she is saying, "Uh, but what about this count the cost kind of stuff that Jesus says? And what about all the commands that Jesus lays out there, right? Like, uh, what what do we do with all those? And and here's what occurs. Uh, So in the turn of 
uh, this confrontation that Paul is having with these folks to keep the gospel pure and then to preserve the gospel. He says, you know, come to Christ alone. And then he says, and keep clinging to Christ alone. And then he says, they sent us out in verse 9 and following the pillar sent us out. They perceived the grace that was given to me and gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So it says to go out and respond to this good news of the gospel and, and, and remember the poor. And then uh, Paul is going to come up uh, in this confrontation with Peter, who we call Cephas, his Aramaic name, in Antioch. And I opposed him to his face. Because uh, when we keep the gospel pure, when we preserve the gospel, when we come to Christ, we keep clinging to Christ, then we realize we have to walk in step with the gospel as a response to the good news of the gospel that we might be then conformed to Christ. Uh, So listen to this final confrontation uh, that the gospel brings out for Paul and Cephas. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when he came, he withdrew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews also acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, uh, that's Paul's partner in the ministry, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's what's going on. It's a little confusing. Uh, Paul is in Antioch, and he sees Peter there. And uh, Peter is enjoying his freedom in Christ, right? He's eating with Gentiles. He's probably eating stuff that the Jews weren't typically eating. Uh, Peter himself is in this moment of transformation. He's seen some He's understanding the gospel is free to all. Uh, You don't have to receive certain dietary laws. He's kind of understanding the freedom of the gospel. But then by uh, because of fear and because of this power class of these Jews who come in, uh, he then pulls back and stops eating this food and stops eating with these people. And Paul, he says boldly to him. I love the phrase he says. He he said it uh, to his face in front of everybody. (laughs) Is that important? He gets bold about this. He says, you're not living in step with the gospel. You've been given freely your position with Christ and others in the church. You've been given freely the righteousness of Jesus. Not, you didn't earn it. You've been given freely your family place at the table with Jesus. You didn't earn it. He embraced you by His grace. How dare you treat others like this and add on things that is required of them, and how dare you pull back from others who are family because of Christ? How dare you live in fear and hypocrisy in that kind of way? You're not in step with the gospel, and Paul gets really bold. Your life is hypocritical. It doesn't match the gospel in your actions. What you know is true in your mind and your heart, you're not living by in your life. Paul gets bold about it. But then we look at Peter's life when we realize this is an incremental process for him. It's a slow, messy process of learning to live in step with the gospel. Uh, All this is captured in Acts chapter 9 to 15. Uh, Peter is sorting all these new truths out. He's like, man, uh, uh, 
I'm forgiven by grace. It's not by what I eat or don't eat or who I eat with or don't eat with and all these pure cleanliness laws. They're all fulfilled in Christ. I am made clean. I'm embraced just by grace. And he's sorting all that out. He's then even hanging out with Cornelius, this Gentile, and all these different things. And so it's this slow, messy, incremental process for Peter. And then Paul does step in real bold on it. But Paul's process of sanctification is real slow and messy too. You think about it, in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about his life, growing up in Christ, learning to walk in step with the gospel, and being conformed to Christ. He says, I do what I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. He's like, oh my gosh, right? I want to live this out. I want to be conformed to you, Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, I'm groaning. He's like, he literally, like, man, why did I do that again? But every time he goes back to the truth of the gospel, that he might be conformed to the gospel, which is even in the midst of your sin, you're welcomed in as a son. Even when you're sinning, you're loved by Christ. It's the, it's the reminder you can get back on the horse and keep following him. It's a reminder you can trust him and obey him in every aspect of your life. It, it's, see, see, the gospel is not opposed to effort, right? Getting after it's opposed to earning we don't earn our place before and with our God, but we expend great effort and response to be conformed into the likeness of Christ by His grace over and over again. Let me tell you a story about a guy on the lacrosse team. He said he was following Christ, but then he lived this life over here. Parties, women, this or that. And as we would talk... He'd share about, man, I feel guilty about this or that. And, I, and then he'd kind of go back into it again. And, and here's what I was talking with him through and what I want us to know. In conformity to Christ and living the life Jesus wants us to live, what we're missing is the experiential joy of life living it for and with in line with Jesus. Peter here is missing out on the joy of the table with those unlike him by grace. My buddy is missing out on the joy of obedience, following Jesus in every aspect of his life experientially, but it was also evidential, which is to say if that kind of uh, lack of uh, being conformed to Christ were to continue in such a grievous sort of way, you might say, man, he probably doesn't even understand the gospel that Jesus uh, so, so laid out for him, that he doesn't understand for real that he's a son of the, of the king by grace because otherwise he'd be giving him his uh, allegiance. It'd be slow, it'd be messy, it'd be incremental, but over time he'd be conformed in the image of his Savior who he loves and he trusts. So let's go back to that example. Do, do I have to forgive my brother-in-law if I come to Christ? No. And yes. No, he loves you in your enslaved state right now. He loves you as a son. He welcomes you and he forgives you. He gives you his righteousness. He transforms you. Now go with the forgiveness you've been given and offer forgiveness. Do I have to give up drinking or this or that? Do I have to per, uh, give up the pursuit of my own self-centered life? Uh, do I have to give generously with my money? No, you're freely forgiven. You're a son or daughter. And yes, 
Everything you have is his now. This matters because I bet somebody here is in the slow, messy process of sanctification and they think they're disqualified. I'm not good enough. I keep sitting in this kind of way. Here's what I say to you. What do you believe about Jesus right now? Do you believe he loves you? He welcomes you in as a son or daughter, not because you're going to clean yourself up tomorrow or do this or that because of who he is and what he's done. Let that grace, how he loves you, motivate you to transformation, to trust him, to obey him, to follow him. The purity of the gospel says, come to Christ. As we preserve what's true of the gospel, even in our hardest days, we then uh, cling to Christ. And practicing the gospel, we find ourselves uh, over and over conformed to Christ that we might experience a great joy of knowing Him and it might be evidential that, man, we are trusting in Christ alone. It's by grace we have been saved through faith and this not from ourselves is a gift of God, not by works that no one would boast. Uh, one of my favorite hymns says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling empty-handed what makes you drop everything this is kind of the position of faith right just empty hands saying ah i trust in you i trust you in the beginning i trust you now would you preserve what's true as i cling to you and would you conform it to your likeness i trust in you it's just the position of faith and Saying, I receive who you are, Jesus, and I want to live my life for you. Empty hands, simply to the cross we cling. What makes you drop everything? Empty hands. Uh, Maybe it's tickets to the O's game. They're out, by the way. (laughs) We say, I'll just drop everything. I'll go. I'll make it. What makes me drop everything? Anytime I come home, I got the leather satchel on and some books in my hand normally. Uh, little Brooke comes to the front door. She's always first. She has no shoes on. And she runs out. And she runs to me. Uh, the person I love makes me drop everything. And I lay it all down. I get the satchel off the books. I drop. Boom. And, and I embrace the one that's running towards me. This is a picture every Sunday that we get. The one who loves you is running towards you. Not because of how clean you are. Not because of how good you are. Because you're his son. You're his daughter by grace. If you're trusting in him. If you're not yet trusting in him this morning, would you have that uh, open-handed position of faith? And would you receive him in prayer, would you talk to him and say, you, you want to trust in him? You, you, you see what he's done. His, his death has paid your penalty. His life is your righteousness, your goodness. You, you would trust him. Would you, by prayer, would you just receive what he's done for you? And you, if you're, you're following Christ, would you preserve what's true? Would you be conformed to what's true in the gospel? And with empty hands again, would you say, oh, I trust you today in this too? Would you cling to him in this today too? His body was broken, his blood was spilled to make you his son, to make you his daughter, to embrace you this morning, to transform you in a life of obedience and trust as you follow him and walk with him. Let's take and eat together.